Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am one of your hosts, Miss Melmore. I'm the other host, Mr. Craigers. And we are also here, joined tonight uh, by a special guest. You may have heard about it as it was announced on Twitter. We are joined by James Dermond. Good to be here. Yeah, very exciting. And this is episode 86, where we will be discussing, in honor of Mother's Day, the Moms of Horror. But before we do that, we're going to go into some horror headlines. Um, I'm going to throw it over first to Mr. Kregers, since I know he recently went to a movie theater for the first time. For the first time in over a year, which was really weird, yeah, but really exciting. And kind of what I was most looking forward to, mm-hmm. being fully vaccinated. I mean, yeah, seeing people I love and all that crap. <laughs> But also going back to a movie theater. Um, and I got to see Spiral from the Book of Saw last night. Um, official review is up on our website right now. But it, for me, it was not great. Okay. But not awful. It's definitely taking things in a new direction but as a result of that they've kind of left a few things that really make the sauce series pop like fall by the wayside interesting yeah and in a sense it doesn't really feel like a saw movie that much which having not seen it i feel maybe that was their intent having called it something completely different (laughs) Yeah. Well, even um, Bowsman was saying, like, he doesn't consider this the ninth Saw movie. Like, he he is almost regarding it sort of as a spinoff. And, like, the next movie could very well be Saw 9. Not that he's the final say on that, but I did think that was interesting. Interesting. Um, Yeah, there's there's no connections to John Kramer. Like, Tobin Bell isn't even in it. Um... It's it's a copycat killer who's basically just using the traps, which the traps are pretty cool. The traps are pretty memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one in particular that had me squirming in my seat Ooh. in the best way. But yeah, it um, it just didn't it, yeah it didn't feel like a saw movie. It was sort of just felt like a police procedural with some gore. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But if you're a Saw completist, obviously, you've got to check it out. Right. Oh, Chris Rock was good. I have to say that. Well, he's like a huge Saw fan, right? Isn't he's it? He's a huge Saw fan, which is apparently how he got involved in this. He happened to be hanging out with one of the producers over at Lionsgate, I think, and was like, I have an idea for what you could do next with Saw. And they were like, great. Go for it. <laughs> well, that's exciting. So. I have not um, gone back to a movie theater yet. Not out of just because, like, I haven't. I guess there's so many things that are on streaming that I'm just not leaving yeah. my living room for. Um, very excited about the Green Knight, though, coming out in July. Yeah. The trailer's out. Did you guys see that? I did. Yeah. Very exciting stuff. I um. 
good week for trailers because um, the Forever Purge dropped their trailer. Yes, too. I was talking about that with a friend who we were basically like, it's good to know that Purge can basically take anything that's happening in society and turn it into a Purge movie. That's what they do. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, James, what, is, what have you got? Have you seen anything interesting or read anything interesting? Well, I subscribe to Shudder. Oh, there. And uh, yeah. I watch, I stream movies on Shutter every month, so I, I follow what's going on there. I think the last time I saw a movie in the theater was Annabelle Comes Home, Ooh. which was the oh, uh, wow. summer of 2019. Yeah. And, and I don't go to movies that much, you know, because it takes time and, you mm -hmm. know, the streaming options are a lot better. So I think that was the last movie that I saw in the theaters. And then the pandemic started and everything started getting shut down. Yeah, I can't. What was the? I think you know what the last movie I saw in theaters was was um, Parasite. I saw it very late. Oh, that's right. I think mine. I think mine was The Invisible Man. Was mm. my last movie yeah. before the pandemic. But uh, Conjuring Three is coming up. Yes, and it's going that's to another be, trailer. Uh, it's it's going to be um, next month, and it's going to be on HBO Max for a month exclusively. Is I think it's going to be in theaters and also streamed on HBO Max for just one month. Yeah, they've been doing that. They had that deal with Warner Brothers or whatever. Yeah, because they own, don't they own Warner? Or Warner Brothers owns them. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Something there's like something that. like like sneaky going on there, but. Well, I mean, there, there's so many entertainment companies uh, that are owned by Time Warner. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's still Time Warner. Yeah. So uh, it doesn't wouldn't surprise me if HBO Max is owned by them too. Yeah. Yeah, now, that that's very sense. exciting, though. I I was, again, talking with a friend when that trailer drops about how it's just, like, they basically have taken, like, almost, like, the MCU formula and, like, applied it to, to horror with this. It's, like, the Conjuring yeah, exactly. universe. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it is a whole interconnected universe. I saw The Nun before Annabelle. Yes, yes, I saw The Nun as well. Which is pretty good. Are they doing a sequel to that? Do we know? I heard that they were, but... Who well, knows? they have all they have sequels or related movies planned for a bunch of the different uh, characters or you know or uh, monsters, I guess, that appear in the in the films. So it's always going to be like a universal horror thing, you know, like the Universal Monsters, where they have this you know kind of uh, uh, lineup of of monsters that are are all involved in the universe. Into it, which I'm fine with. <laughs> I'm on board for that. Yeah. Yeah, so I think they were planning one for like the Slender Man type. Oh yeah, the um, yeah, that the, appeared in the Tall uh, Man the or whatever, the Crooked Man, Conjuring Two. Yeah, yeah, I remember hearing about that a while ago. I wonder when that is in production. Yeah, that was just discussed, and they they talked about uh, having spinoff movies for at least a few of the uh, supernatural entities that appear in Annabelle Comes Home. Mm. <clears throat> I'm I'm one of those people who will watch like you could give me fifteen Conjuring universe movies and I will go see them. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. I've seen every one of them uh, and I made sure that I saw them in the theaters. So this will be the only one that uh, the one that's coming up, Conjuring Three: The Devil Made Me Do It. Yeah, it's the only one that I won't see in the theaters. What's great about those movies is that even the ones that are not so great are usually better than. Your yeah, average, even the yeah. weaker movies in the in the uh, the franchise are better than a lot of horror movies that come out. Yeah, yeah. 
big fan. Now yeah. I want to rewatch some. I was like, oh yeah, when was the last time I saw like Annabelle and mm-hmm. yeah. And Annabelle comes home. I feel like was the strongest of the Annabelle ones too. Interesting. Yeah. I think actually I would say that Annabelle creation is the best one. Oh, you think Creation's the best? Yeah, I thought that that was better than Annabelle Comes Home. Both are very good movies, but I thought Annabelle Creation was particularly good, at least for me. I did. That's yeah. That's that's, that's the, the one, one with, that with the, the, the orphanage. yeah the orphanage oh, and, yeah. yeah 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 and that the the, the sick mother and that's that's Annabelle right yeah yeah that's right. I mean, yeah. she's in the room. Yeah. She's kind of sequestered off in the room, and the you know the girls that live in the orphanage, you know. Uh, you know, suspect that she's somehow involved in something creepy going on in the house. Right, you know, right. and then they slowly reveal the backstory of what happened before the girls yeah, showed up. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. That is that is probably the best one of the Annabelles. Creepy yeah. stuff. Oh yes, and it had that very that very terrifying stunt actor who um, I think it was actually a um, a like double double amputee stunt actor. Playing oh. um, that creature yes. in the basement, or something yeah, you're like right. I, I don't know who it is, but the, one of the things about Annabelle creation is you find out what actually lives in the doll, and it's a really subtle scene where the girl is, you know, that's possessed is, um, you know, she's kind of walking, she's facing the father, and I think she's walking away from the dinner table, and then she steps into the shadows, and then you see that her eyes are glowing red. Yeah, that was a really subtle but extremely frightening scene. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and then of course in Annabelle, uh, the Annabelle comes home. Uh, you do see that it's a demon that lives inside uh, the Annabelle doll. Classic yeah, conjuring. The the <laughs> Classic ah, conjuring. So I'm so that's, excited. For yeah, that. no, that's gonna be that's gonna be great. Um, I think they're great in those roles, and I love those movies. But I know um, it's nice to see. Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga back mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. But, uh, James, you are a uh, horror author yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you are the author of two volumes um, of short stories called Doorways to the Unseen. That's right. Uh, tell, and you're actually working on a novel, so tell us, tell us about all of this. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, Doorways to the Unseen Volume 3 will be out in June, and it'll have six more short stories. Uh, all horror stories. And um, I'm also working on a novel that I've been working on for a while. I've delayed the the publication of it, but it'll uh, be about the uh, Salem witch trials. Ooh. And it'll start a series probably. So I'm going to, I've been deciding, you know, what I'm going to do with, after uh, Doorway CN Seeing 3, I'm going to write, finally publish my first full novel. And uh, I've been kind of deciding what it's going to be. And I'll, I'll stick with my original idea. So uh, that's what I originally wanted to write when I first thought about writing a novel. So I, I, it's partially written. I'm going to stick with it and uh, get it published, you know, later this year, before uh, Doorways to the Unseen Four comes out, which will be uh, late in 2021. So the whole series I have planned. I'm going to publish two volumes each year, and I'll stop at 12 volumes, and then Ooh. I'll be publishing other things in between that. Wow, man with a plan. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a busy year ahead of you. A busy many years ahead of you. Well, actually, I figured it out. 
and if I just write even 500 words a day, mm-hmm. <laughs> do the math, uh, 365, that's 800, uh, that's 182,500 words. You know, that's enough for a, uh, the, the Dory student scene, um, volumes are about 32,000 words, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, a novel is about 80 or 90,000 words, you know, so I can, uh, I can knock out like, a a novel and two volumes of doorways to the unseen pretty easily, even if I just write 500 words a day. Nice. So every That's year. That's the kind of math I can get on board with. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually shocked when I thought about it because I, I was looking at how productive I am. Because you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm sure like most writers, I struggle to get something done every day, you know, mm. with everything else going on. So, um, I looked at it and I said, even if I get 500 words done a day, which I can do in just one hour, I can still maintain a pretty good public uh, publishing schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's very exciting. So what's your, what's your writing process? So you shoot for 500 words a day. Are you a morning writer? Do you write at night? Do you? Uh, I mean, I write both in the morning and at night when I have time. Um, I mean, 500 words a day is too little. You know, my, really my goal is to, uh, write more like, uh, at least 1,500 or 2,000 words a day. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people that do this, you know, that have a, a large catalog of published books, they write 3,000 words a day. You know, that's pretty much what uh, successful writers do for the most part. You know, some people are slower, but that's what I've found. So, uh, I mean, I want to keep increasing my word count, but I, this is, I just did that basic math and figured out that even if I stay with a really weak you know, one hour of writing a day at 500 words, then I can at least can maintain a pub, uh, publishing schedule. Nice. Yeah. That's exciting. Is there anything you can tell us about uh, the Salem story beyond that? Or is it? Uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just about what you'd expect. It's about witches and, um, you know, the supernatural. When the Witch came out, do you remember that movie? Yes, I love that yeah, movie. So, uh, and also, the director uh, did The Lighthouse. Yes. And I was thinking, somebody took my idea. Oh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was disappointed that he got to it first before, you know, that, because, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, when I write the short stories, I, I do a lot of historical stuff, and I try to make it as historically accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wanted to write a historically accurate uh, witchcraft novel. And, uh, you know, he uh, usually the the movies about witches are, you know, they don't go to the uh, lengths that he did to uh, recreate the period. You know, even the dialogue was in the language of the Mm -hmm. period. You know, so uh, I was a little I mean, I thought it was a good movie, but I thought, oh, he got to it first. Oh, well. (laughs) Well, his doesn't, you know, it's New England, so we can just, you know, we can play with locations and that sort of thing. His yeah, is just in New England somewhere. Yours is in Salem. Have you ever been to Salem? I don't think I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to set it in a fictional type Salem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So That's it won't actually be Salem. It'll be a, about that period. Gotcha. Um, have you ever think, been to Salem? No, I've never been to Massachusetts. Ooh. So. I went uh, to Salem for the first time. First, I say first time. I went to Salem once um, for the first time, the only time, uh, about three or four years ago. Um, and I actually, I, I have a copy of a book that belongs to Mr. Kreger's that um, is about a travel writer. Well, it's not about, well, it is about him, but he wrote this book basically staying in Salem for the entire month of October and 
going into the history and then also the culture that popped around it. It was a very fascinating read. Sounds, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't been, I think I drove through part of New England once, you know, but uh, I really have never had a chance to explore that part of the country. Well, would recommend when, when you're able to do so. Yeah, eventually I think I'll go. Yeah. But I live in Colorado Springs, you know, which isn't really a good setting for a horror writer because this is like a sunny, you know, beautiful place. <laughs> you know, well, there's other, there's other spooky stuff in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, there is. It's up in uh, the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. You know, it's up in say. northern Colorado. And then um, certain other places are supposed to be haunted, like uh, Cheeseman Park is supposed to be haunted. They did the poltergeist thing where they left the bodies Ooh. that were buried in the – there were a number of paupers' graves, and they never moved them. And then they did, Ooh. like, construction, and, you know, that, that area is supposed to be really haunted. So because, everyone's, uh, I think, biggest fear is to find out that their house or something is – Sitting, sitting on something. Yeah. Okay, well, I wrote uh, the the link that I sent you. Did you yeah. take a look at Creepy Jane? Yeah. I did, yeah. Okay, so that was that's about a haunted house. Yeah. And uh, that's the longest short story that I've written so far. That, um, when I was, you know, because we all did the sort of mirror games and that sort of thing um, when we were kids, I'm sure. But that still is a thing that sometimes freaks me out in the bathroom. Like, if, you know, I'm leaving my bathroom and I exit and I turn off the light um, and I have to pass the mirror on the way out. <laughs> I just keep my head down. <laughs> well, I'm sure anybody that watches horror movies is a little bit afraid of mirrors because yeah. they, uh, they are scary. Never trust mirror. You know, if you mirror. have an active imagination. Yeah, but, no, thank um, you. I mean, my other two stories are up on Wattpad, so they can read them for free as well awesome. if you want to take a look at them. Yeah, well, we will be sure to share those uh, when the episode comes out um, so everyone knows where to, to find those. I mean, for me, I, I find that I start getting really back into horror at the beginning of, like, summer, end of spring. Like, there's just something about it that... Um, I don't know if it's because there's a lot of fun horror in the summer that just makes me excited and, you know, like it's the big time that I get to read. So I'm like on the beach or something with, you know, like a copy of something horrible <laughs> um, and that sort of thing. So I'm always looking for, for new horror reads around this time of year. Yeah. I think probably people, uh, book sales go up during the summer because people have more time. It seems yeah. like. Yeah. But um, did you take a look at the stories in uh, volume two? I sent you the PDF. Yeah, I looked at a couple of them. You suggested now. Did you suggest these because they were your favorites, or my um, editor thought they were the two best ones, and I agreed with him. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I liked all the stories in the collection, but I think that uh, those are probably the two strongest that'll have the most appeal. Gotcha. And for our for our, uh, I was about to say viewers, you're not seeing anything. For our listeners, um, the two stories that apparently James's editor finds to be the best. They are pretty there there's some creepy stuff in here, but um these two are The Devil's Garden and The Thing in the Cupboard. So if you head over to his website and want to check out uh where you can find his stories, those are two not to miss in the collection. Okay, thanks. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, this is uh this is great. I love I love uh this is one of the things I really enjoy about horror is that um, you can have things like this. And, you know, there's a lot of people creating content 
um, and are very generous with their content and, and generous with sharing it um, and just really excited to talk about it. Um, so thank you, James, for, for joining okay. well, us. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate no it. Anytime. Yeah, and listeners, uh, look for us to, to send all that stuff out and check out his stories. Um, and we will send out you know links to his social medias and you can find out how to follow him and check out all his stuff. Yeah, I'm really active on Twitter. I have over 45,000 followers there, and that's where wow. we connected. All right. I have yeah. heard I have heard that um, Twitter is the the big social media platform for writers. It is. Yeah. I mean, the, the other one, Facebook is more of a general audience, and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the other platforms really aren't about uh, discussing anything creative for the most part, but uh, Twitter is, is has a really large writing community. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much again, James, and uh, we welcome you back anytime. Okay, great. And I'll let you know when Volume 3 comes out. Yes, please do. And Volume 4 and 5. Yeah, well, I'll let you know when the novel comes out and Volume 4 will come out later this year. Yeah, no problem. That'll be awesome. Okay. And thank you for having me on. No problem. Thank Thank you. Thank you, James. Good luck with it all. Okay, thanks. Bye. Goodbye. All right, listeners. We will share. I feel like I've never said listeners so much before as I did tonight. I almost said, I said, I wanted to say viewers, and I was like, you're not seeing anything. Not seeing anything. Um, yeah, that was James. Mr. James Dermott. James Dermott. And uh, you can check out all his stuff. You know what's funny is um, I was thinking when he first sent over his stories um, and, and, you know, the concept for the, the short volume as doorways to the unseen and that sort of thing. I was thinking about in silence of the lambs when you mentioned, um, it, you know, the, the, con- the creepiest shot being a closed door and all the doors mm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Doors are creepy. Doors are very creepy and they're everywhere. <laughs> you don't know what's behind them. It could literally be anything. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was, there was some good stuff. Um, and what he sent us, uh, devil's garden was, if you're claustrophobic or if you have a fear of being buried alive, that's going to get to you. I, um, this was insane energy for like a first, I don't know if it was my first, it must've been my first film class. A freshman year we watched, um, uh, what was it called? Maybe it might have been called Buried or whatever. It was the one where Ryan, Ryan yeah, Ryan Reynolds is in wakes up in a coffin. Yeah, that was an insane thing to watch in a freshman first day of freshman <laughs> film class. I feel like that's totally like the professor wants to be like, all right, I need to weed out the weaklings. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there is that. Yeah. Um... Was that just like was that intro to film or? What? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was just because we watched <laughs> we watched that. Um, I forget why, like what the conceit of it was. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched Shaun of the Dead and Fight Club in the same unit because we were talking about the what '90s white male crisis. Ah, uh, fun. Okay. Um, we watched. Uh, what's it? called the one the tennis movie by woody allen oh um fucking that one yeah anyway oh, we watched it woody allen 
an intro to film. Yeah, right. So, anyway, point is, is buried alive shit freaks me out. Very, thing I'm very afraid of. Um, But tonight, we are going to be discussing a different thing to be afraid of, perhaps, maybe. Maybe you didn't realize. The Mothers of Horror. The Mothers of Horror, of which there are a lot. We learned, because we were like, our original plan was to come in here with a couple each and discuss them, and then we realized there was a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. Some are villains. Some are heroes. Some are human. And some are not. Some are not. Um, so I think we're just, you know, after our last episode, we were very, you know, which was ran about three, four hours, something nuts like that. Uh, we thought uh, we'd, we'd give you something a little more loosey-goosey, a little lighter, probably, hopefully, a little bit shorter. I God, I hope. There's no way we could talk about moms for three hours. We can't talk about moms for three hours. No. I mean, we could, but we're not going but to. But we're not going to. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, one thing I was thinking about in this is, like, the whole, like, the tropes about moms in various horror or various films, not even horror, but like mm. the like concept of like sort of a, I saw somebody refer to it once talking specifically about Disney films as like toxic maternity. Interesting. Yeah. Where you have these maternal figures that are somehow like wrong or uncanny or, you know, there's something about them that's mm. a little bit off. That's interesting. Yeah. And this was an um this came up applying to Disney movies? Yeah, applying to um like the evil stepmother. Ah, okay. Okay, right. Sure. And um and then like Mother Gothel mm-hmm. and um the evil queen from Snow White. Which yeah, okay. I will say the evil queen from Snow White was probably my first horror mom. And I say this because when I was a kid, yeah. I could not watch past the part where she turned into like the old hag. She transformed. I, that sequence freaked me out. And I re- still remember, I was like six, five, six, maybe even younger. I still remember the first day that I got past that point and watched the rest of the movie and told my mom. And she was like, okay. <laughs> it's scary. Yeah, no, it, it, I would hide behind the couch. It would freak me out. I, I also have a pretty clear memory of watching that, I don't know, one summer afternoon probably and sitting on the couch and like her transforming and just like grabbing a pillow and like holding it in front of myself. <laughs> <laughs> it, the pillow scared? will protect me. No, yeah, that was definitely, I would say, my first, uh, maybe I should stop telling people my first scary movie was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. And um, tell them it was Snow White. <laughs> it was Snow White and it's dead. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, specifically her mom. Specifically her mom. Well, and also that thing about she's, um, you know, she's the stepmother. Yeah, she, like, her mom died and then her dad died and she was left with her dad's yeah, wife. Yeah, there's, like, that very old prevailing thing from fairy tales that a step parent, particularly a stepmother, is dangerous or cruel or mm-hmm. doesn't regard her stepchildren as her actual children. Right, and right. I think we've played with that a lot in storytelling over the years. Yeah. 
Interestingly, not a ton of horror stepmoms, although there was that movie that came out somewhat recently um, with uh, the mom in the cabin with the kids, but she's the stepmom. And what's his face from um, the lodge? Yeah, from it was yeah. in it. Yeah, we'd see a lot of uh, explorations of the horror of like traditional motherhood. Mm-hmm. Not as many stepmoms. I can think of some stepfathers yeah. in horror, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So the first sort of mom that pops up, and thank you to. Uh, the, I found a, a pretty great um, sort of gathering of the different types of moms we see in horror um, at uh, Little Red Horror on WordPress, um, nice. who has a great little, I assume this is the author's, a cartoon version of the author wearing a nice um, midsummer outfit. So Awesome. That's, that's good. But basically... First mom, and I, I, you know, I think we can both guess the mom that probably comes to mind for this is the grief-stricken mother. Mm. You could probably, you could probably pick a lot mm-hmm. here. Um, I'm thinking particularly. My mind jumps to Annie from Hereditary. Interesting. She shows up later, but not. Oh. Under this, but no, that's interesting. So that's so she's grief stricken. You're right because her own mother passes away at the beginning of the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there's of course the grief of what happens to her daughter. Yeah. And then the grief of the family falling apart, and then she starts self destructing and um, becomes really vicious. Vicious and. Um, of course, there are other things going on. Mm-hmm. There's a supernatural Paymon. angle to, to yeah, Paymon is, <laughs> is involved and, and witches are involved. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's so interesting. And I feel like she's going to pop up for a lot of these because that character is just everything. Like, it is the complete human being. Yeah, because she's so human, which I think is what gripped so many people about Hereditary. She's grief-stricken, but she's also... Um, She's also abusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does some really cruel things. To her says, her son, to her husband. Yeah. Um, she's also... Um, not to give too much away about the third act, but she ends up taking on an antagonistic mm-hmm. role. Um, whereas she starts the film as more of a... If not our hero, definitely like our lens you, for the majority You know, and it's of interesting about that because I was watching, um, I was actually watching a masterclass on masterclass.com um, with N.K. Jemison. Great science fiction, oh, nice. fantasy, I guess more fantasy than science fiction, but I think some of her stuff is considered sci-fi. Yeah. Um, where she talks about characters who are your lens, but not your protagonists. Um, which her example for that uh, was like the most recent Mad Max um, being a great mm. example. But this is another great, you know, you're right, because we enter in through uh, Tony Collette's, le- well, Tony Collette, yeah, we enter in through, it's Tony Collette's world. Um, we enter through that lens and, you know, we're with her for most of it. Um, and then there's kind of a shift where we start, um, <clears throat> 
you know, we realize it's, it's more about um, the, the naked brother band guy. What's his name? Something Wolf. <laughs> um, uh, Peter. No, that's the husband. No, the son. No. The son. I just know he's played by one of the Wolf brothers. I can't remember his character's yeah. name. Oh, the actor. Um, Alex. Yeah. Wolf, Nate Wolf was the one in um, The Stand. Right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, point is, yeah. is um, yeah, we, we shift over uh, to the his point of view and his, um, you know, his story and the mother started to take on an evil role, an antagonistic role, something, you know, truly scary, um, which is interesting because, like you said, a lot of stuff going on in that movie outside of the realm of, like, the family dynamic. But if you take away a lot of the supernatural, it's just, you know, when you change perspectives within a family, different people look differently um and i find that very fascinating she's she's a really complex um not just mom but just a really complex character like one of the most complex i think we've ever seen in horror um and yeah just like you were saying like some of her behavior is tied to um the supernatural things that are going on but some of it really isn't right Um, well because it's not even um outright supernatural until about the third act you know up until that point a lot of that stuff could be explained away by just grief yeah um and it's it's such a testament to hereditary's writing and Ari Aster's directing and obviously Tony Collette's performance I think everybody in horror agrees she should have been nominated for an Oscar Mm -hmm. but um just that we um there's so many different points in that film where you don't know how to feel about her and and sometimes you lean sympathetic and sometimes you really really don't like her um and even by the time everything is said and done it's still just kind of like how do i feel about what happened to annie i still i have only seen that movie once because it was so affecting that i was like i can't and, you know, at one point, I think I've told you this, I actually tried to watch, like, a, you know, a YouTube video where they talk about Hereditary just to see if I could get back into it. And by the end of the video, I was, like, depressed again. <laughs> so maybe in the next three years, I will get around to, to fully... It's heavy. I think I... I've definitely seen it at least twice, but not more than three times. Yeah. Because it's... Meanwhile, I don't know how many times I've seen Midsommar. At least three. Yeah, there's something. There's something different about Midsummer in terms of what it leaves you with. Right. Um, it's so complicated, as we explored in our Midsummer episode. Go take a listen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Hereditary is just. You do not feel good. No. After that. <laughs> and that's the thing. I was like, there's no way I can watch this during the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Great call. Yeah. Um, but the sort of traditional mom. Yeah, I, I guess I went with the wrong. No, you didn't. There are no wrong answers here. (laughs) That's the, that's the trick. Um, no, but the traditional mom that, you know, I think people think of when they think of grief stricken mother is Mrs. Voorhees. Ah, of course. (laughs) Got him. How did I even write? Okay. Who are you thinking? What was I thinking? Um, Mrs. Voorhees, right. 
Anyway, Mrs. Voorhees, traditional grief-stricken mother, definitely, I think, one of the more active in her grief. Um, and I, I would say that she's probably the genesis or, you know, source of um, inspiration or potentially even parody that uh, we see in Scream 2 with Billy's mom. They even have the yeah. same haircut. Um, but yeah, Mrs. Voorhees, uh, surprise villain, not a surprise anymore, hopefully, to any of you. Um, Friday the 13th, revealed to be the killer at the end, angry that the camp counselors let her, her son Jason drown, because according to her, they were too busy having sex. Right. They weren't being responsible, it was their fault. Um, yeah, and Mrs. Voorhees is interesting... I think to look at her, um, because her identity as a as a character and like how we remember her in horror mm -hmm. and as a villain is explicitly tied to her motherhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that uh, that is her whole self as we know her is she is the mother of Jason. Yeah, and she is um, killing people in the original film because of yeah. Jason. it's like the 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 revenge of motherhood. Against yeah. teens, against kids, against, you know, rebellious uh, behavior. Yeah, she is, like, the dark side of, like, um, that sort of, like, old wives' tale of, like, um, a mother, um, if she sees her child in distress, she would be able to, like, lift a car mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, if her child was trapped or whatever. She is, like, the mother who couldn't save her child from being hurt, mm -hmm. but is now like taking that energy and that rage and getting like the ultimate vengeance. Yeah. yeah and she, you know, she is at the point where she's almost doing like a, a Norman Bates thing where she like acts out the part of Jason in her head. Yeah. Um, you know, she knows the creepy, Killer, yeah, mommy. the creepy little Jason voice. Um, also, her sweater game is on point. Yeah, you know, mom mom fashion. Big with Mrs. Voorhees. Miss Voorhees? Mom Mrs. Voorhees. I think she's big. Big with... Um, one that came up in this list that I did not even think about um, is um, Sarah in The Descent. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't think about yeah. her at all. Because I totally forgot why they went to the cave. I did, too. It's because her husband and son? Daughter. Child, a child, daughter, um, were killed prior to the start of the film. Uh, for those of you who have not seen The Descent, which I feel will be very few of you, because I feel like it's at this point kind of almost got a cult following. As it should. It's um, brilliant. Yeah, no, it's a great film um, about a grieving mother uh, who goes on this sort of girls weekend with her friends. The girls weekend is spelunking, which is pretty sick. <laughs> It's pretty badass. Um, but they go spelunking and they very quickly find out they're not alone in the cave and then they get trapped in the cave and it's terrifying and also really fun to watch. But yeah, Sarah is a grieving mother and I would say um, the like... Well, you want to talk about claustrophobia. Right. Yeah, no, they're squeezing sense. through stuff um, and, you know, there's a lot of psychological things going on but what's crazy not even crazy um interesting here is 
there's sort of a reveal at the end that one of the friends was like sleeping with the husband before the car accident and like mm -hmm. it's just a lot of it's a lot of complex female relationships yeah, yeah it's um it's, it's really I think, I think that film was ahead of its time in a number of ways yeah. but, but um particularly in how it explores um relationships between women I think was um something that the world of 2005 wasn't all that interested the in. same way that I think uh, Jennifer's body was way ahead of its time I did that's not a hot take everyone thinks that now but that's true and I like to think we contributed yeah. to that a little bit with our Jennifer's body yeah. episode. um the ending of the but, descent too the real ending not the theatrical ending um devastating it is devastating. Yeah. Um, that's a great, that's a great example of a grieving mother. That also makes me think of, um, Amelia, the mother from the Babadook. Yes. Yeah. Um, cause she is the, her child is still alive. Obviously mm -hmm. the most annoying child in the history of film. Um, but her, her husband and, um, her son's father dies also in an accident before the events of the film mm -hmm. and her grief and her depression is the major theme of is the aforementioned the Babadook. Just kidding. There's actually yeah, a Babadook <laughs> interpretation of what is the Babadook. Um, Babadook. Yeah. Because, and she is, you know, I think when we're talking about Annie through a grief stricken lens, like she, comes becomes very active sort of mm -hmm. in like her grief like like when she starts exploring ways she could start communicating with charlie and all of that and and um was it sarah from the descent sarah's yes, yes, character yes. yeah she um is obviously hurting but like you know like she's out on this girls weekend and stuff or whatever but like amelia has shut yeah down. it's just she paralysis is. of yeah she just cannot function because of this intense, intense grief that she's going through. Um, and obviously that results in some crazy events in the film, but I think she's an interesting example because there aren't a ton of other characters like her and we don't get this sort of really human exploration of grief in horror movies all that well often. and i feel like the babadook like you know it's a, it's a film but i almost feel like it's a film in pictures like when i think about it what i picture most is the imagery of you know the, the, the different like tableaus and her face and like the long shots and just the feeling of like depression and loneliness and and guilt and grief um in a way that you don't That's really get in other films, like no. And what a great way to look at that film, like as a, as a series of images, given the importance that the book. Yeah, the book and the image of the Babadook, like you know, the, yeah. you know, I still wake up in the middle of the night and like my hoodies hanging off of my closet door, and I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. Which <laughs> which brings me to something that I found quite funny. Um, I don't know if anyone listens to Pod Save America. Um, John Lovett is one of the uh, hosts on there. Who oh, he's great. He's very so funny. funny. He is the fiance of Ronan Farrow. Um, 
but they were doing their ads and they do an ad for Simply Safe, which is like a home security system. Yeah. And he's, he's talking about his Simply Safe because they use it. They actually have it. And he's like, yeah. And, you know, you know what I found? You know what? You know, there was stuff going off in, with the Simply Safe. And you know what? We got a Babadook. <laughs> we found out we got a Babadook and nobody else knew what he was talking about. I would not <laughs> but I found it to be the most hysterical thing to just be like, yeah, we got a Babadook. We got a Babadook. <laughs> right, in that, that John Lovett voice. Um, yeah. So that's how I like to think about it when I think I see the Babadook in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, fuck, we got a Babadook. <laughs> you should have got Simply Save. Simply Save. This is a plug for Simply Save. Um. Uh. But yes, that is, I think, I feel like her, um, that just portrayal of grief and a grief-stricken mother is on par with Hereditary as, like, just the, the polar opposite of, of, yeah. um, Annie. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, in both cases, I feel like, um, it's the mothers that become the danger, Mm-hmm. Like, like, there's a point in the Babadook where, like, we, the viewer, kind of stop worrying about this potential supernatural force, and we're really worrying about Amelia. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, when, you know, her, the son is screaming, and she's making these faces, and... Yeah. And, like, she's, she's just unraveling, her behavior is getting more disturbing, like, there's obviously, like, she can't connect with her son, and it's like, oh, what's gonna happen here? Also, excuse me, I, I not re- Ronan Sinatra. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> to be to be the most accurate. <laughs> it's not even a tin hat theory. <laughs> I can't, <laughs> Mr. Ronan Sinatra. Anyway, no, but you're right. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, there's something in both of them definitely more obvious um, and active and hereditary, but like equally creepy in the Babadook where we're just, we feel unsafe around these women as mothers. We're not sure what they're going to do. Yeah. And it's that, uh, it's almost kind of like the worst kind of fear, right? Because we are afraid for their children. Yeah. And we're afraid that these mothers were hurt their own children, which is like one of, I think, our society's most unsettling notions when a mother yeah, hurts the whole eat, their child. Eat their young type thing. Yeah. 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 Um, this is an interesting um, category that I think has, like, for me, has one clear example, but I think there are others that you will probably be able to, to come in with. But Mm-hmm. Um, this one is referred to as the root of the problem. Um, and what this author um, points out and what I think of too is Maureen Prescott, who doesn't even appear in the Scream franchise. No, we only see pictures of her. No. We only see pictures of her. I think once or twice we maybe hear what Sydney perceives as her voice, but who knows? Um Right. But yeah. The, so no, the, are the characteristics of the root of the problem. So I'm, I'm guessing based off of the example of Maureen Prescott, just that like the events of the story take place because of. Yeah. So like mother. basically there's something about the mother or the mother's actions that have allowed this horror story to take place. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, which, you know, like, you could argue from um, Mrs. Voorhees' point of view, like, you know, that was, you know, her, you know, we don't know anything about her, but, you know, her potential lack of um, maternal instinct or ability as a mother might have, you know, been at play there. But, you know, Sydney, uh, you know, obviously Maureen was like, you know, the root of the problem in that her promiscuity, um, you know, angered a character for those mm-hmm. of you who haven't seen it i don't know why i'm worried about spoiling a like 30 year old movie but uh, <laughs> angered a character who who committed murder hey, if you haven't seen the scream movies at this point skip ahead yeah no i feel like have we just dis- i don't know if we've discussed the scream franchise we have never covered a scream film on its own all right so we should do that um <laughs> but yeah so maureen is promiscuous or at the very least having an affair um, right. with a a gentleman um, who, like, appears in the movie for, like, a second. And I was like, can we swing back to this guy? Oh, yeah, Mr. Loomis. <laughs> yeah, but um, anyway, she she's having an affair with this guy. It ruins this guy's marriage. That upsets his son. His son decides he's going to get revenge by killing Maureen, which he does. And then on the anniversary of her death, he decides he's going to kill her daughter for some reason. Um, who is Sydney Prescott, who is our main protagonist. Right. Yeah. And what's interesting is that, like, um, with the situation with Maureen, it ripples throughout the entire rest of the franchise as well. Yeah. Because in two, uh, Mrs. Loomis blames Maureen mm-hmm. for her husband leaving. Yeah. She doesn't blame her husband. Right, her husband who was the she, married man who had to... Yeah. She, she blames... And she blames Preston. Sydney for Billy's death when she killed him in self-defense. Right, right. For her, yeah, for Billy's death, even though Billy made his own choices. And then, of course, in the third film, uh, Roman, um, who is Maureen's son, is obsessed with her and blames her for not being his... choosing to mother him because... She, Maureen had a family back in Woodsboro. And even in Scream 4, where it's probably the loosest connection, we still have, you know, Sydney coming back to town and staying with her aunt, mm-hmm. Maureen's sister, uh, Kate. Who was new to us, by the way. <laughs> who was new to us. We didn't meet her in the first three. But whatever. Um, and she, there's, it's kind of a throwaway line, and it's not, Super, super important, but um, there is the, the mention about, like, um, you know, everybody has uh, has been worried about Sydney, but no one has really paid that much attention to Kate. But she, you know, she lost her sister. Her sister was murdered. And- Which is fair. I totally feel for Kate. When that line's delivered in the movie, I don't know whether it's, like, the reading of it or where it's placed in the film, but it comes across as so funny. Because, like, something's happening. Like, something is actually happening, and Kate's just like... Nobody ever asks about me. As like somebody's getting like murdered in the background. <laughs> nobody ever asks how nobody ever asks how Kate is feeling. Um, it is it does come across really funny, but I also think it's brilliant because it's kind of this awesome foreshadowing for the end of Scream Four and Jill's motive, yeah. which is basically nobody pays attention to me. I'm sick of being second fiddle. Yeah to someone else in my family and how will um, maureen figure in scream five i don't know but i'm fucking excited 
figure into screen five? Well, tune in in January. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. So let's, are there other moms so, that are the root of the problem? There's an example here, which I don't, I've not seen this film, but you may have. Called Cherry Falls. Okay. Cherry Falls. Wow. So I'm going to say it's a yes. Um, <clears throat> it refers to, well, I, I don't know. Do you want to tell us about it or? Okay. I haven't seen Cherry Falls in a minute. So let's see if I can. A killer um, terrorizing the small town, killing teenage virgins is how yeah, this is I, described. It's, I remember it. It's an inversion of slasher tropes because, um. Oh, I guess that's why they call it Cherry Falls. What a ridiculous name. <laughs> yeah. Because it's virgins that are being killed rather than the promiscuous teens being killed. So it's, um, I want to say this is, Cherry Falls was early 2000s or late 90s? Okay, yeah. Because it, it was being meta and commenting on the slasher genre, but because the first three Scream movies... I was going to say, it came a little late to that party. Yeah, it it was kind of late to the party, and no one really paid it that much mind. It's, It's not bad. Um, it's, it makes a great sort of like a trio. If you're doing it with scream and like, I know what you did last summer, you could make a night of it. Um, I don't super, super remember. So how the mom ties into things. So this is what, uh, Kim Morrison says. Um, she mentions that. So I'm going to spoil this for you all because it's 2021. Um, the, (laughs) The English teacher, Mr. Marlston, is the killer who's been going around murdering virgins. The motive for this is his mother um, had been sexually assaulted by a group of jocks um, when she was a teenager. And she pressed charges and nothing came of it because the guys were like rich and powerful and basically got it thrown away. And um, one of them is Leonard's father. Um, and so he, in the anger of what happened to her and her victimhood, um, decides to go after virgins for some reason. <laughs> mm. And it seems that she perhaps um, was abusive towards him because of his origins and what he reminded her of. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, and yeah. this is how he responds. <laughs> yeah. Know why this popped into my head, but maybe just thinking about um, moms abusing kids who grow up to, to kill. Um, and I because I hate this movie, why am I thinking of this? But that's part of the added on origin story for the killer in the Black Christmas remake. That's on the this, that is on this list. Is it really? Yeah. And I never saw the remake. I only saw the first Black Christmas, so I had no idea what this was talking about. I hate. I don't like either of the Black Christmas remakes, but I particularly hate the 2006 one. And it was getting a lot of like weird love last Christmas. Everyone was like, it's not that bad. And I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there there is a, an element in there where um, the mom hates the... Billy, yes, who grows up to be the the killer that targets the sorority um, in the you know the present day storyline of Black Christmas. It's really grimy. Um, that 
that particular. I remember thing. when there were trailers for that um, that remake and how like weird and creepy it seemed. It's it's filmed really weird. Um, remember in like the mid two thousands, like when a lot of um, horror remakes from the 70s were coming mm-hmm. out and they all sort of had that like grainy yellow yeah they were like we we discovered um this filter <laughs> yeah like black christmas does it and like um the hills have eyes mm-hmm. remake i always think of them doing that and like the texas chainsaw one that came out in like the mid 2000s mm-hmm. did that like, same thing and i was just kind of like why did why are why do all these movies look like this or like wrong turn wrong turn looks like that yeah i don't know why yeah that was that like went i feel until at least like the um nightmare on elm street reboot yes which happily did not do that yeah (laughs) um another mother another mother um in this sort of vein and this is interesting because it's more um, not a root of a problem, but an ineffectual mother is um, Marge from Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, interesting. Um, although she is involved in, you know, the, the burning of Freddy, um, though she's not the only one. Um, but it's kind of not necessarily the act of that, but like the secrecy. And, you know, the fact that they never told their kids and, you know, we did this horror, you know, they, t- they did, they committed a crime. Like they took, they, they, they committed murder. Um, and all this is going down because, you know, Nan- Nancy's mom and Johnny Depp's parents and everyone went out and right. set Freddy Krueger on fire. On fire. Yeah, that's interesting. I never would have thought of. But she's also of. like, you know, there's she's like drunk at times, so she's kind of like a yeah. You know, she's also an ineffectual mother, or she's like kind of not very helpful at all with Nancy's situation. Like she like locks her in the house at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she like we get the sense that like she feels guilty, but like it's weird. But what's that? I said it's weird. Like there's a yeah, but there's yeah, there's something weird to that because, and maybe it's because like you know it's been years and years and years, and like that suggested maybe she's an alcoholic and stuff or whatever. But like she's she feels guilty, but not like repentant. Right. I guess she's just like. Seems like to be upset that she has these memories more than anything else. Right, not that she like burned a man alive. Right. Um, our next sort of bucket of moms are the ones who are desperate for children. Ooh, the moms who are desperate for children. Which the first one popping up is people under the stairs. Oh wow! Ninety one. Yeah. Which the characters are just named mommy and daddy. Right. Um, but they're not, they they're never- want their own kid. They're also siblings. Yeah. That's yeah. a thing. Probably why they can't have their own kid or shouldn't. Yeah. Um, but they decide they're going to, to steal one. <laughs> yep. 
Yep. Um, and it's creepy shit. Um, yeah, that movie used to scare the crap out of me. Yeah. No, it is very creepy. Yeah. Okay. So like, isn't what's yeah, his face in it from Twin Peaks? Big Ed. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Oh my gosh. Fucking that guy. No, I have to. I'm going to be so okay, mad at myself. Okay, that. Because um, he's amazing, and he's in everything. He's in Twin Peaks, he's in Silver Bullet, he's in... It's a very creepy movie all around, mothers aside, if you've not seen People Under the Stairs. Um, yeah. There's creepy incest, it's very gory, cannibalism. Everett, Everett McGill. There you go. He's in the movie as well. <laughs> yeah, he's the dad. Um yeah and yeah and so that yeah that awful sort of version of motherhood of like um or or desperation for motherhood that takes it to the darkest of places you know yeah um even i mean it's a it's a campy movie at parts um as much as it is creepy but yeah like wanting a child so bad that you're willing to steal one and therefore traumatize one right you know that's that's dark territory mm-hmm. yeah. keep them under the stairs uh, uh another one less horror but still very fucking creepy is Coraline Ooh, yeah and the uh, i would say yeah i would say like gateway horror yeah. horror for kids the uh creepy other mother the other mother who is Genuinely terrifying. Yeah, no, I can't really watch that movie. Button eyes. Oh my god. Yeah, talk about Uncanny Valley. Um, mm-hmm. But no, it's interesting the way the sort of um, like desperation, because on the one hand you have like unwanted motherhood, like in um, Cherry Falls and and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, and then here you have you know desperate for motherhood. That it becomes a like, like a, a a toxic obsession and a murderous obsession. Yeah. Um. Thinking of other mothers who aren't interested in being mothers. Um. Not. I know that we moved on to the category of people who are desperate mm-hmm. to be mothers, but people. I just thought of this that don't want to be um, Margaret White from Carrie. Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> I mean, uh, well, first of all, the amazing Piper Laurie, mm-hmm. also from Twin Peaks, um, nominated for an Oscar for this role. Good for her. But, like the ultimate, like you don't love your child. Like the true horror of Carrie um, is not the fact that Carrie has telekinetic powers and can't control them. It's Margaret and her, her crazy religious mm-hmm. belief. Yeah, like she didn't, the- she didn't even tell her daughter about periods because no, that was evil and sinful. Right, and she doesn't want Carrie to. She's mad that Carrie is, you know, maturing, and she's her dirty pillows, and um, 
she locks her daughter in a closet and um, forces her to pray. And I think she hits Carrie. Yeah, I'm sure she does. Sure, like physically, you know, like mentally abusive and um, just awful, awful. I mean, that movie is heartbreaking and. Yeah, and you know, the, the the desperate way she's just like, you know, mama, mama, like trying to get her to like talk, you know, because her mother is basically the only character that she, the only person that she has any sort of contact with or relationship with, and she's just completely denied uh, any sort of like, you know, because she's like, why didn't you tell me, mama, and you know, like that, like that voice and yeah, creepy stuff. It's creepy. Um... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of other characters who were desperate to be mothers. And oh, oh ja. ja. Rosemary. Yeah. And look what happened. <laughs> What's that? I said, and look what happened. <laughs> and look what happened. Um, you don't. You don't listen to your crazy, creepy cult-like neighbors. No. You just don't. Even if you want a baby. Even if you want a baby. That's not the way to get it. It's just not the way to do things, Rosemary. Um, even though it results in, you know, a great movie. But it, yeah. it is interesting, this sort of like ritual sacrifice and yeah. Satanism. Like, what what are you willing to do to have your growth? Isn't the baby like weirdly deformed and gross too when it comes out? Am I imagining that? Yeah, we we don't see it, but uh, there's like a it's like a Satan baby. Yeah, we're like we're pretty sure it has like a tail, yeah. and that it's it's really horrible because her reaction initially is horrified, um, you know, and she contemplates killing him, but uh, obviously doesn't. But um, yeah, that. Yeah, Rosemary, very sad character. Along those lines, and it's less obvious, I guess, because, um, I mean, it's different circumstances, but The Omen. Oh, Because, yeah. you know, yep. the mother's giving birth, the child is stillborn, and they don't tell her and just take a, a kid who was orphaned um, yeah. and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. They really do. And and yeah, he's he's really creepy. He's creepy to the mom. He ends up killing the his mother um yeah. eventually in the movie. And I think what's really um interesting with um is it Cat Catherine, I think is the mom's name. Yeah. Newman. Catherine. Um about Catherine is that You know, they really wanted a kid. It was a stillbirth. She wasn't told. Damien comes into the picture. She loves him, but she starts, like, she starts suspecting that things aren't right. right. You know, and she, like, we get this this play with her in The Omen where, like, she kind of doesn't want to admit that to herself because how awful, how awful to think that about your child, yeah. you know? And she doesn't want to admit something's wrong, but she, she, she 
she knows deep down that it is and because she's not sort of able to like act on that or figure out what to do with that she ends up dead yeah yeah like when he um you know because as it starts as it starts for all of us in that movie with the nanny killing herself at the birthday party and it's interesting because like i feel there's just this immediate sort of suspicion on damien um even though, you know, like, their initial reaction is, like, oh, my God, and to, like, hide the children from the nanny's swinging body. But it's, like, you know, what could he have possibly had to do with this? Because the nanny says, you know, before she does it, she was, like, this is for you, Damien, or whatever. Um, and yeah. then he's, like, riding his tricycle, and he tries to knock her over. Um, if you want a great abridged version of this, check out the American Dad episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> I think it's actually a Christmas episode. It is the one Christmas episode. <laughs> I, in the episode when he's when Stan's checking um his head. Yeah. It's like, like six. Six. Two. Two. And then, two. And then he's like, Whoo! And then he like moves it again, it's like plus four. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, so that's just creepy creepy you know, and I feel like that's almost like a mother's worst fear. Yeah, that your that your child will um, be the antichrist. <laughs> to be the antichrist, but or yeah, like that that your child will grow up to hurt people. Yeah, hurt people, hurt you. Yeah, hurt um, you. You know, I I'm thinking about it's not horror in the traditional sense, but it's horrifying. Um, we need to talk about Kevin. Yeah. You know, um, situations like that. Another interesting one, in, kind of in that vein, is Brightburn. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the um, sort of dark take on Superman, uh, as you know, if Kal-el, not the name of the character, the character is completely different, but the basic concept is yeah. if Kal-el came to Earth and was evil instead of <laughs> instead of Superman, and how scary would that be? Yeah. Um. Oh, I feel like I just, another example just slipped my mind. Because I was thinking about um, Elizabeth Banks, because she's the mom in Brightburn. Yeah. And she's amazing. Yes. Well, if it comes back to me, it comes back. Scream it out. But until then, uh, let's talk about some overbearing mothers. Ooh. Well, again, Margaret White. Yes. <laughs> overbearing in a way that um, is very unique to Margaret White. <laughs> yeah. Potentially the most overbearing, um, and the damage that it does to her daughter. Um, okay. Another interesting one, I think, is um, the grandmother from Hereditary, who dies oh, before yes. we, you know, see her. But she, sure, right. you know, we understand is kind of overbearing, very involved. Turns out it's because there's like a demon that she needs to. I don't know, do something with in a bodily way. <laughs> but um Yeah. That's an interesting example. Um also mothers we don't actually meet but whose overbearing presence affects the course of events, um, Norma Bates in Psycho. Yeah. The ultimate we assume overbearing mother. Yeah. Alt like disapproving, cold, old-fashioned, everything that we get 
from what Norman tells us in the course of the film. Um, we see a great rendition of it in Bates Motel, played by Vera Farmiga. Yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the ultimate, to the point where her son is so psychologically damaged and traumatized that even after she has been dead for years, he embodies her and keeps up a facade consciously or otherwise that she's still alive and still has control over him despite having been dead for quite some time. I, um, I've been recently um, watching YouTube videos by, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, she's the author of Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. Caitlin Dowdy. Caitlin Dowdy. Fucking love her. She's great. She's amazing. I am obsessed with her. She's great. Um, for those of you who don't know, she is a mortician. Um, she's got an amazing YouTube series. Um, she's the author of two books, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. And then her new one just came out. Oh, three books. Three? Yeah. Um, I haven't read Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? And then what is the third one? Oh, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs is the third one. Actually. Is it? Okay, there's something between the those was, two. The second one was From Here to Eternity. From Here to Eternity, thank you. Where she go, she traveled around the world looking at how different cultures approach death. Yes. Um, she's great. She's awesome. She has a very funny video where she um, reacts and rates um, film corpses, and she was not kind to Norma Bates. <laughs> <laughs> She was like, this is not a good corpse. Sorry, what? Was she reacting to Norma Bates' corpse in Bates Motel or in Psycho? In Psycho. Uh, she was not a fan of it in Psycho. She was like, why is it mummified? And then, you know, she goes into, she's like, you don't, you know, the eyeballs, I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> well, that's funny. I have seen that critique before in regards to Psycho, and I always just assumed that he did something. He probably, yeah. Well, she mentions well, that. Got, she brings that up, too. She's like, I know taxidermy's involved, but I don't... Yeah, that he, like, he knew enough to try and preserve her, but obviously not enough to, like, embalm her. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's, like, she looks like what she looks like in yeah. the movie. That's what I always assume. Goal is to get uh, her on this podcast, but <laughs> stretch goal. I would die. She has amazing videos. And then she would ask you how you process that. Yeah, no, and I'd be like, great. And I'd be like, help me make uh, water cremation legal in PA by the time I die. Yeah. <laughs> Which hopefully will be far yeah, away, but who knows? I, I admire her quite a bit. Yeah. Um, She's great. But anyway, point is, is apparently that, that corpse isn't the best of corpses. It doesn't quite match up to what would actually happen. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, Overbearing Moms. I'm sure there are others. Overbearing Moms. Um, I'm thinking the, mo the, the, the The Queen Alien. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I did want to bring her up. I wasn't sure what category she was going to fit into. <laughs> she might be under murderous mothers, which I feel is one we've kind of covered already. She's definitely a murderous mom, I would say. Um, yeah, the alien queen. But also, um, 
overbearing, but like, is she overbearing or is she just sort of primal? Yeah, like overbearing to, to us, but she's from a different culture. We have no idea. Yeah, she's just like, I'm laying eggs. And you're a threat to my office, so fuck off. <laughs> I wanted the spinoff from the point of view of the alien queen. Of the alien queen. You know what that makes me think of? Um, the Bob's Burgers episode. Okay. Where it's, where it's the school play. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those where, like, um, where they have, like, three stories in an episode yeah, yeah. that, like, the kids each tell a story. Mm-hmm. Like, Linda had missed the school play because she's sick. Yeah, yeah. And Tina tells her version of what yeah. it was. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's alien. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, alien. and then this happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's, like... And she's the alien queen. Yes, yes, yes. I remember. I remember the image of of Tina as the alien queen. Yeah. Um. So murderous mothers. I feel like we got a lot of these mothers are murderous. But interestingly, mother as the protector. So mother as protector. Um. I think. There's a few good ones in here. I think there are some some really good ones. Um. And I think when I was first, when we first decided we were going to do this, a lot of my examples, I was thinking of these mother as protector characters, mm-hmm. um, like Chris McNeil from The Exorcist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of my favorite moms in horror, who, um, you, know, the, you know, the great Ellen Burstein plays um, in an Oscar-nominated role. She's just like she's not religious she doesn't understand this but she is willing to do whatever it takes to help her daughter Mm -hmm. and there's something so when i watch her in that movie like as much as like as terrifying as the exorcist is like that character always makes me feel really warm and really sad because she's doing whatever she can and nothing that she does works. And she's a single mother too, which is not to say, you know, to knock single mothers, but just to, you know, she's a single mother with a very busy career, um, you know, yeah. trying to also be a very active mother to her daughter who's got some sort of ailment that just no science or medicine seems to be able to to fix. And, you know, she definitely becomes the... Um, prototype I feel for a lot of like moms in the future who are kind of like the just desperate at their wits end during some sort of supernatural event in their home um but she definitely it's just you know it's like you know the scene where she's getting like the cat scan or whatever in the hospital and she's just like breaking down like trying to deal with you know this thing that's happening to her daughter and it's good stuff it is good stuff. I think top of mind, protector moms. There are two. Mm-hmm. First would be, I think, um, Wendy from The Shining. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that was after we decided to do this. It was like a couple hours later, and I thought of Wendy. <laughs> And I was so mad that I didn't think of her initially. Oh, yes, you texted me. Wendy, that's her <laughs> When we were listing potential moms at the end of the, the last episode. And then the next day, it's like 10.30 in the morning. You're like, Wendy. <laughs> I was like, Wendy Torrance. And then you're like, anyway, happy Sunday. 
um but yes great great example mm -hmm. um yeah go for, yeah talk about wendy. wendy so wendy wendy's going through a lot when we meet mm -hmm. wendy and pretty much throughout the film and in the book but shelly duvall just really i don't even want to say shelly duvall crushes it because shelly duvall went through some shit filming this movie yeah. but um whenever we eventually <laughs> cover the shining we are gonna have a lot to say about shelly duvall i do love have you seen the the compilation video of like her being like hi i'm shelly duvall like in various <laughs> yes <laughs> and then i i love that video and i love it because it always makes me think of um that family guy cutaway <laughs> when peter's just like like that time I met Shelly Duvall. Cuts away. She comes up. Hi, I'm Shelly Duvall. And Peter's just like, big fucking deal. <laughs> Shelly Duvall. Anyway, point is, Shelly Duvall is a traumatized woman. She's in a very abusive, toxic marriage. Her husband has clearly abused their son. He's got a drinking problem he's currently working on. And they're staying in an isolated hotel throughout the winter months in Colorado as caretakers. Husband is losing his mind and, you know, it's all she can do to protect herself and protect her son. Um, and, you know, I will give credit to Shelley Duvall for this and just, you know, when it comes time to it, we will discuss the, the horrible, you know, way she was treated on set that, you know, got this reaction out of her and got this performance out of her but she does an amazing job of um you know being a protector mom you know when she's trying to swing that bat and she's holding the bat and she's just you know trying to swing it any which way um very kind of ineffectually when she shoves danny out the window in the bathroom obviously the famous knife in the door scene um, you know, like everything about her and her character in the book is about trying to keep her and her son alive while they're being chased by her, you know, this, this madman that they're, they're locked up with. And it's like a very visceral survivalist mom. Yeah. And, and not only Jack, but like, Wendy's also, um, tormented by the supernatural presence in the hotel. Mm -hmm. Like she... You know, whether or not what's going on with Jack, like, is he insane beforehand? You know, the book versus the movie, whatever. Like, Wendy, Wendy deals with both. Yeah. Like, Jack is just supernaturally tormented or psychologically. Wendy's like, gets hit from all angles. <laughs> Wendy can't catch a fucking break until the end of the movie. She really cannot. Um, she might be. The mom who endures the most oh, yeah. out of all the moms we've talked about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just relentless yeah. what happens to her. No, he's, he's cruel to her verbally even before he starts swinging sharp objects. Um, you know, you find out from the book and it's uh, kind of like glanced on in the movie that like, you know, he previously hurt um, Danny. He broke his arm. Um, you know, she brushes it off as like, oh yeah, like, you know, doesn't know his own, you know, he grabbed him too hard or something, you know, something that clearly is like, you know, red flag. Um, 
Yeah, no, she's just, she's doing so much. She's like, she's doing so much subtle survival day to day. And then her husband turns into a freak. And, you know, she has to deal with that physically. Yeah. 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 And for all of that, like, I mean, she still comes out of it, you know, she still pushes through Yeah, and puts, and puts her son first. Yeah. And luckily they both get to get to walk away into the beautiful wilds of Colorado at the end <laughs> into, in the middle of winter. Um, to go on and, and experience the events of Dr. Sleep. Which I still need to read. Yeah, you do. Um, it's currently in a box, though, so that won't be happening. <laughs> so I'm not right um, Another one I'm excited to talk about, because I'm always excited to talk about this, is Laurie Strode in Halloween H2O. And then we could even talk about Laurie Strode in Halloween 2018. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how, I don't know which category, but we've got to talk about Laurie Strode. <laughs> yeah. Talk to um, us. Tell us all about it. Okay. So. In the majority of the Choose Your Own Adventure timelines yes. for the Halloween <laughs> franchise, Laurie Strode ends up as a mother. Whether it's to Jamie Lloyd, um, her daughter in Halloween 4, 5, and 6, or whether it's to John Tate, her son in Halloween H2O, or whether it's to Karen Strode, her daughter in Halloween 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot to talk about here. Um, so as a mother to Jamie Lloyd, we don't, we don't see how she was as a mother because in that version, in that timeline of the franchise, Lori is dead. She dies in a car crash when Jamie is young. Um, and I think, I don't know. Is, is there much we can say about her as mother to Jamie other than it kind of is a curse for Jamie because that's why Michael is hunting her? Yeah, I mean, well, you could almost put it in the category of root of the problem kind of moms where it's, you know. Oh, okay. Because he's, I mean, you know, you could also make the argument is, you know, Mike, Mike. <laughs> oh, did you just call Mike? Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know where that came from. Oh, that was awesome. Anyway, Michael might be after <laughs> her just because he's after family it seems that seems to be his target. Right. It could be because it's Lori's child. Um But yeah, she's mostly kind of a ghost. Um, yeah. she's just somebody we hear about in, in those instances and the focus becomes, you know, her child. Right. Mike. Yeah, I think you're right. Root of the problem is the good category for it, for that version. Now, Halloween H2O, Laurie Strode is fucking, not only- fucking love that movie. <laughs> love it. Love it. Can't wait for the day when we cover that on its own. <laughs> um, so not only is she present, but she um, has been an active mother for uh, for her child for like 17 years mm-hmm. um, under a different identity, under the identity of um, 
What's her first name? What does she take? I cannot remember. I need to, this is proof that I need to rewatch this. I know their last name is Tate. Hold on. Let me let me figure this out. H2O. What do you call yourself, Lori? Missing. Okay, tell me her name. Oh, Carrie. Carrie Tate. Carrie Tate. That's right. Right. And her son, John. Um, Josh Hartnett and his debut. <laughs> and, um, okay. So, yeah. So, she... What do we make of Lori is as a mom in H2O? She's very, like... It's funny because it almost comes across as just protective mom of a teenage boy at, like, a boarding school. Like, no, obviously knowing what we know, but, like, he doesn't, you know, he mm -hmm. just knows that his mom's kind of, like, a freak about this stuff and that sort of thing. And I remember, like, her having that conversation with, like, the, the front gate security guard and, like, yeah. trying to figure out if, every, like, is everything good? Like, are we gonna, you know, like, is this... And then she's, like, trying to get in to pick up her son because she's like, no, he's not safe. And, you know, she... It's almost like a proto for what she becomes in Halloween 2018. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, she's... I think, like, a, a lot of the the back and forth and the struggle for the, you know, the first act or so of H2O is that she is an overbearing mm -hmm. mom, particularly as Halloween rolls around because of um, her trauma from when she was 17. And um, it's her struggle to, to protect her child, but also to, to let him live and experience life. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, she relents to sort of let him go on this trip because she's like, she doesn't want their relationship to end up getting damaged. And of course, we, the dark irony is that he is in danger because her fears were somewhat valid right. because Michael has found them. Right. Um, which, which is also interesting, right? Because her overprotectiveness is justified by the events of the film. Right, yeah, no, it proves her right. And again, we as the audience know she's probably right. Like, it's a different timeline, but, you know, it, it you know, the in all of your choose-your-own-adventures, obviously the first starting point is always the first movie. Like, that always right. happens. That always happens. And nothing says that Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, doesn't also happen. <laughs> and nothing says that. You cannot, in the text, point to where it tells me that that's not a thing that happens in all timelines. <laughs> yeah, witches almost take over the world in every timeline, yeah. I'm pretty sure. People just don't talk about it. People just don't talk Why would you talk about it? They didn't, so why would you yeah, talk about it? Yeah, we moved on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I, so H2O mom, we're putting her in overprotective category mm -hmm. or the overbearing category yeah 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 but interestingly that like um the events of this particular narrative don't like chastise that overbearing right she's um right she's not punished you know she was right you know her overbearingness yeah. was right um and we see the same thing in Halloween 2018, you know, her crazy preparedness, you know, her entire house was designed to be a trap. 
from Michael Myers. Yeah. From my good friend Mike. Yeah. But but I would say for 2018 versus H2O, um, and that one I think. I think it's not as justified. Yeah. Because, sure, her preparedness ends up um, allowing her and her daughter and her granddaughter to come out on top, but it has also really damaged her relationship with her daughter and her granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Like, her relationship with John is is intact in H2. Right. It's not, it's not broken the way that her relationship is with Karen um, in 2018. Right. Yeah, no, it's so interesting because, yeah, like, he's annoyed in the way that a teenager is annoyed. It's not anything big, whereas, yeah, in 2018, like, you know, she shows up to the, you know, like, the graduation dinner or whatever it is, and they're not super excited. You know, her mom, she's breaking into her her daughter's house to test her security system, which is a strain for everybody. Um and, you know, her granddaughter doesn't really have very much of a relationship with her because she's never around or she doesn't get to see her because she's, you know, just constantly living out this trauma and the possibility that um, it could happen again. Mm-hmm. But again, she turns out to be right at the end. She, yeah, she does turn out to be right. And and it, it allows them to get out of the situation, um, the three of them, to get out of the situation alive. Um, but yeah, but I think it costs her more than um, what it costs the the version of Lori and H two O. Right. Yeah. No, it's very yeah. interesting. But yeah. But yeah. But yeah. Definitely still the protective mom for sure. Um, one I I definitely wanted to mention in sort of like this hero mom category um, was. Uh, Diane Freeling from Poltergeist. Yes. Yeah. Um, he exits in Meg's butt. In <laughs> <laughs> Meg's butt. You lost your mind. <laughs> yeah, but as as parodied yeah. by Lois Griffin, um, she Diane is uh, the major hero of that film. Yeah. Um, played by the great Joe Beth Williams. She, um, I think what's great about that character and like with Poltergeist is that like when she realizes weird things are going on, she's like immediately like, well, I got to figure this out. Right. You know, like she does like the funny, the funny things with the, with the chairs and, you know, you know, and Craig T. Nelson comes home and she's like, oh my God, look at this. And they slide Heather O'Rourke across the kitchen floor. <laughs> and then when things go south, like, she's distressed, obviously, but she doesn't break. She's she's still there to be supportive for her other two children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's, she's very clear that when it comes time to, like, go into the poltergeist dimension or, or whatever to rescue Carol Ann. Like she does it. She takes on the heroic rescuer role and goes through and she's, she's pretty relentless. Like she's like, this is not going to, this is not going to tear my family apart. Like I am going to get my daughter back. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just really 
like, I feel like if you're thinking of hero moms, you have to think of her. Yeah. Um, someone else who comes to mind for hero moms. Um, Rose in Silent Hill. 2006. Oh, yeah. Weird movie, but it's definitely centered around a mother trying to mm-hmm. uh, get her, her daughter back. Another interesting one that's less an obvious example of this, but I feel like is the kind of theme or like the heart of the movie is um, the mother in the first Conjuring. Oh, uh, Lily Taylor's yeah. character, you mean? Yeah. Like the whole point is that she, you know, she's being taken by the spirit that wants to kill the children, you know, because of various weird backstory reasons. And the whole point is that, you know, they have her focus in on her family and, you know, like she doesn't want to hurt her family. And that's ultimately what, right. what allows her to fight uh, Beth Shiva or whatever crazy ridiculous name the, uh, the demon had. Um, Bathsheba. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, also, I can't think of the character, but um, D. Wallace and Cujo. Yeah. As, as the mom. Um, another hero mom. Uh, very sort of like fierce, like, do not fuck with my kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Almost bordering on Mad Maxi type, like right, Furiosa, like ready to. I not give up the fight. Here. Murder maybe this dog. Just, yeah, maybe it's just like D. Wallace's really short hair in that movie, but um, yeah, yeah, another. I think another great horror hero mom. Yeah, and such a a good movie, but like a crazy good book. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have not read Cujo yet. Um, I actually don't even own it. I look at my empty shelf. I'm moving, by the way. It's not because I just <laughs> don't suddenly don't have books. Um, for yeah, our book is much different. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd like to read it. I just I think all the time about the, the Friends episode with putting Cujo in the freezer. I also know that different parts of the book are from Cujo's point of view, and I know that's going to make me sad. It's really sad. As, like, as he's getting sick is really sad. Yeah. So, got to be in the right mindset for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, that, it's such a good book, but it's, it's, also, it's so uncomfortable. Just, like, things that happen, but just, like, also just because he does not remember writing it. Because he was right. That and uh, what's the other one? Dreamcatchers. He talks about not remembering writing that one. Um, the other thing too is I like have an inordinate fear of rabies. <laughs> so so this is like a this is up my alley in terms of fears. Um, Are you sure, I make sense. But for our final category, okay, okay, yeah. Um, mothers who were killed by their children. Ooh, of which there are probably many. Okay, so who have we got? Um, first on top of mind is Pet Cemetery. Ah, uh, yes. Um, zombie, zombie child murdering, murdering mom. Yep. What's the name of the family in Pet Cemetery? Ooh, what um, are their names? 
Shit. Gage is the boy. Creed. 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 The Creed family. The Creed family. Yeah. 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 Um, so tragic, right? Because it's, 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 again, it's that thing of, like, knowing something is wrong with your child. Right. And, and, and choosing us how you're going to react to that. And I think with Pet Cemetery, you know, we see the mom choosing to do that very understandable thing of just being like, but it's our child. Right. And that's all that matters. And obviously that, that does not work out for her. No. It's so creepy. That book was so... You know what's funny is I read this book. I read Pet Cemetery when I was, like, home for three days with, um food poisoning <laughs> so I was in a weird state when I read it I like got it from the that library probably was quite the fever dream of it a read was. I was I literally I told I was like yeah I'm not coming into work for three days because I got food poisoning so I literally set up like a little bed on the living room floor and I'm reading the book that way you know if I need to go throw up I can do that right um right. But yeah, no, creepy, creepy shit. Like, then the idea of being, you know, like, okay, your child has been killed in a freak occurrence. Um, you know, and doing whatever you can, and the child comes back wrong, and everything comes back wrong from, from the pet cemetery. Um, it's just, it's creepy. I, it's really creepy. I mean, a lot of people say that's the scariest book King's ever written. Oh, no, it's creepy yeah. stuff. It's really creepy stuff, and it's and it's so human, right? Yeah. To, to want some to want someone you love that much back, especially someone who dies way, 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 way before they should have. Right. Who dies tragically? Who dies violently? And of course, the dark irony that you can't ever get them back. They're yeah. not. That's not. That person is is gone, and and what you what you have back, and you know, in the case of Pet Cemetery, is is not who they were, and the, but then still being so heartbroken that you say, "I'll take whatever I can get." That's so sad. No, no it's such it's so creepy. Um, one good example. I was actually talking about this with a friend the other day. Um, one great example, I think, of this, and just an all-around, like, pretty solid film, uh, is Sinister. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I think that is an effectively creepy, well-done, just scary movie. That movie is, it is good. Which is I enjoy that movie a lot. about children being groomed by a demon to murder their families. And make snuff yeah. films out of it. And make snuff films. And so great because... It takes a while to piece together that that's what's happening. Yeah. That it's the children um, doing that to their parents. And what an unsettling revelation. Yeah. No, it's so creepy. And, the, you know, the thing is, is that's a movie where at the end, like, it's not a good ending. Like, the, the demon wins. Like, it, it works. It's a dark ending. It's it creepy. Works. Oh, man, I love Simpsons. Yeah, no, I think it's great. Um, one mom who didn't make it onto any of these lists, but who I really enjoy, was um, Nicole Kidman's character and the others. Oh, I love the others. 
Yeah, I don't even know. Where would you put her? I don't her? know. Creepy Victorian mom who doesn't know she's <laughs> dead. <laughs> I guess protective, yeah, protective mom, but she's kind of like in a toxic oh, way. Yeah. Protective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, protective, like bordering on overbearing. Um, but of course, because of the twists of that movie, you know, then also puts into hindsight her motherhood right like, has a bigger impact when you discover what's really going on yeah 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 no moms horror moms um horror yeah i don't think we left any any big ones out we got the alien queen i wanted to make sure that cut in there we got the alien queen. Um, you know who's a, I'm sure, I'm sure to... a creepy horror mom? And maybe it's more horror adjacent at this point. I'm not sure. But um, definitely worth discussing at some point is um, Sarah Palmer. In oh, Twin Peaks. Yeah. There's a lot to be discussed there with her own motherhood and what she represents about motherhood. and Yeah. And yeah, what we interpret about her as a mother. There's a lot to pick apart. There. Yeah, something to think about. Future Twin Peaks episode coming up at some point in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think we hit a lot of the big ones. Um, the only other real big one I was thinking of that didn't quite fit um, was. Uh, Oh, what's the character's name? Nora? From the, from the Brood? Oh. Um, Something like that. Which is a hard movie to talk about without spoiling. But it is very much about motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of... Uh, <laughs> what it means to reproduce and what it means to have children and what it means to be a mother <laughs> it's like um some creepy like i don't as you all know i'm not like body horror is like a big scary for me but it's something that i feel i must engage with at times yeah yeah you you have to like make yourself do body horror right yeah the thing is is it's yeah. not the worst thing in the world and it's the- just like it definitely gets me um like I can do well, something like true. saw, like okay, like yeah, like that's like different for me for me than like the fly or like yeah. you know. Well, in the brood, like for me, I feel like I know everybody always goes to Videodrome for classic Cronenberg, but I feel like the brood is like maybe his masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like that's when you're really just going to be thinking about how disturbing the body is. <laughs> and how upset that you have one. Yeah, yeah, and how upset that you have one. And you're like, no, this is not You know what body horror creeped me out and is a little bit tangential to um, motherhood is um, Splice. Ooh, Splice. Yeah. That just... That, is that on Shutter right now? It I, might I be. I don't know. That. I just, I remember it being freaky and gross when it came out. And then I remember in my 
high school um, communications in film class, they had a poster in the room <laughs> of like, you know, the creature that's with its poster. tail and, you know. Yeah. That's a, that's a good poster. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's an icky movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, cool. Yeah. The Moms of Horror. Um, obviously, there's there's plenty of plenty of other moms that that fit into the categories that we didn't touch on. Plenty of other moms that um, that we don't fit into any of these categories. Yeah. No, those were that's the thing is is there's plenty here to that uh. You know, those are, I was, they were very narrow categories. They were definitely fun, but there's like, you know, moms galore in, in horror. Moms galore in horror, which uh, is an interesting thing to think about. And I would say if you have thoughts or if you're like, how could you not have talked about X mom? You should let us know. You want to text Wendy, you know, the middle of the night or something. <laughs> um, get at us and uh, there's lots of ways you can do that yeah and I will read them to you well I won't read them to you they're in my brain I'm not reading anything um, you can email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com you can tweet at us at splatterchatter666 that's splatterchatter minus all the vowels if that's too difficult just google it we pop right up um you can send us asks. Do people still do that on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com? Maybe one day we'll get a TikTok. Who knows? Mr. Craigers is the TikTok uh, guy. <laughs> I love TikTok! He loves TikTok. Um, you can leave a comment on the blog at splatter-chatter.com. Um, and you can go one step further. Get a, little, get a little closer to us if you'd like. And Mr. Craigers will tell you how. Yeah, you could definitely um, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash splatterchatter666. Um, there is some information over there about um, us and the show, and also, the, of, course, of course, the opportunity to show your support financially. We promise all kinds of cool things in return if you um, feel so kind. Yeah. And... Um, even if you don't, that's okay. We are happy to take a rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcast or Stitcher or SoundCloud. Those are the um, locations where you can find our show, which you know because you're listening to our yeah. show on one of those. Devices. On one of those, through one of those mediums. Yeah. And I think that will wrap up episode 86. On the Mothers of Horror. In June, we think we know what we're going to take a look at, but... I will be in my new abode, too. Not that any of you, like, know that or see me, but um, maybe the acoustics will be different. I don't know. The acoustics will be different? Oh, my gosh. Get excited, everybody. Um, I don't think we're going to announce it just, just in case something changes. We haven't officially decided. But... Look for us again in June. Uh, look for more activity on our website. Um, my review of Spiral is up right now. And, of course, now that 
things are a bit more safe and a bit more open and I'm vaccinated and more movies are coming out. I'm probably going to be at the theater a lot more. There's a ton of horror coming out this summer. Yeah. I've I've heard tell that uh, St. Maud is on Hulu, by the way. St. Maud is on Hulu. I intend to be checking it out very soon. Uh, Army of the Dead is out next week. Um, we've got The Conjuring next month, Forever Purge, Malignant, all kinds of things coming up this summer. Um, get excited. And until all of that activity, I think we want to just uh, remind you to always keep up the creep. And for now, we'll say au revoir, adios, das